Hi, I'm Sebastian Bolney, and this is The Sustainable Fashion Wingman, the podcast exploring the brands, innovations, and careers making fashion more environmentally and ethically friendly. I hope you're listening to the podcast and enjoying it and have subscribed. Why not invite your friends and colleagues to listen too? There are a lot of episodes coming your way. And if you'd like to connect to like-minded professionals in ethical fashion, why not connect with me over on LinkedIn? There's only one, Sebastian Volney. We're getting stuck into this fifth season of the podcast, so I'm really pleased you've been sticking around. And today we have another superb brand and business owner to discuss a niche area of apparel, or should I say footwear. We're with Ali McAlevey, the founder of Zig and Star, the award-winning footwear brand helping parents dress their kids more sustainably. As we know, children's wear, whether that's clothing or footwear, comes with many challenges of longevity and waste, as items are inevitably outgrown at a rapid rate. So how did Ali come about noticing this challenge, and how does Zig and Star set out to address it? Well, let's find out. Hi Ali, how are you? Hi Sebastian, nice to talk to you today. Uh, it's great to catch up with you again. Thank you for coming on to the podcast and to tell us a bit about your brand, Zig and Star. Could you give us a little bit of a background to start us off to get the ball rolling about yourself and basically your background in the clothing industry? Yeah, of course. So I worked in fashion for over 20 years. I was originally a footwear specialist. And then as I sort of climbed the ladder, worked on uh, all different categories within women's wear. So that was my passion. I loved my job. It was exciting. I got to travel. It was creative. And then sort of more latterly in my career, you know, I was having children. I'm actually a mother of three. And I started to become more and more disillusioned with my place within those kinds of businesses and what we were doing. Business was becoming more about speed, margin, and less about creating beautiful amazing product for the customer so like I said during that time as as the sort of fashion high street market was changing I was having kids I started to feel like you know I'd climbed the ladder as high as I wanted to go I was ahead of buying at Topshop which you know was an amazing brand and I loved it but I started to feel like there was more for me out there that I wanted to explore and I was on maternity leave with my third child Ziggy and I'd sort of experienced firsthand the challenges with, you know, shopping for kids. I felt the market generally was very gendered and I hated that. Um, And particularly footwear for me was I couldn't find what I wanted for my three kids. I've got two girls and a, a boy who's the youngest. And so while I was on maternity leave, I was just thinking, God, there must be better brands out there. You know, everything feels quite sort of, you know, stereotyped you know, product for what boys should wear and what girls should wear. And also I couldn't find anything with any kind of sort of sustainability at, 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 you know, what it was doing. So I sort of started thinking about it as an idea. I was thinking, you know, I never never thought I was an entrepreneur really, but um, started thinking about it a bit more, started thinking about the ideas and sketching out ideas. And uh, when I went back after my third child, I decided, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. And then I left my role at Topshop and started working on the brand and the development full time. Um, And that's, you know, it didn't feel like I was leaving my job to start a brand. I was leaving my job to start exploring what this kind of product and project could be. 
and then all of a sudden I was doing it and that was it and I was running my own business it sort of it sort of felt like it happened quite gradually wow interesting and so you got so that's quite a, a long background and you mentioned Topshop how did that background then contribute into moving you into sustainable fashion I can probably imagine being that you worked at Topshop <laughs> yeah we um Actually, funnily enough, I was talking to someone I used to work with the other day, and it, there's so many people actually that worked at Topshop that um, have ended up going into the sustainability space. I think, like I said, fashion, when I was you know, originally at Topshop, it was about creating amazing, gorgeous product that was unique. You know, Some of my favourite pieces in my wardrobe are still for you know, early Topshop products, um, including footwear. We sourced amazing footwear. And you know, you know, I started to see, you know, the market generally was changing. There was lots of cheaper people entering the market that were not about beautiful product, but more about speed, price, you know, nailing the trends, but not necessarily in the most sort of ethical or durable way. And that sort of affected the whole high street. So I, I, I definitely was becoming disillusioned with the UK high street generally, and therefore more disillusioned with my role and so when I was approaching the idea for this brand it started off with I wanted to make beautiful product and I wanted to contribute something more positively to the fashion market let's say so definitely about reducing consumption and reducing waste which is really what fed into the design process of Zig and Star. So that was the gap that you saw on the market there in kids footwear? Yeah, exactly. There was a there was a gap in the sense of I feel like there was a gap for well-made podiatrist approved footwear and there was a definitely a gap I would say in the whole the whole kids wear market should I say which was recognizing that kids grow quickly. Often we have amazing product that we've bought that is just sitting there unused because kids grow out of it quite quickly and there was no one addressing that kind of adjustability, you know, growth, making products that last longer, not just from a durability point of view, but also from a how can we make products as adjustable and as adaptable as products so that as a child grows, they can get more wear out of it. So that was the kind of unique proposition that I was thinking about because I was looking at all my kids' shoes that they'd been passed down from brother to sister and and they were still in pretty good nick. Like, why couldn't they be used for longer? I didn't feel like anyone was addressing that issue of waste. So that was definitely the sort of light bulb moment for me, approaching the design process to make, how can I make things last longer? And that's what we start with, with all our products now. Yeah, there is that issue with children's wear, like we were saying, how it, it um, they outgrow them so fast. So it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with them? Or, you know, how can you make them last longer? And what do you do at the end of their, their life when they've outgrown them? Mm-hmm. Were there any challenges that you faced along the way when you were starting the business as a sustainable and circular business, especially specific to kids' wear? I think the, the I think there's, even outside of the sustainability question, Starting a kids' brand is, you know, has its challenges. I would say starting a kids' footwear brand has exceptional challenges because you're creating a three-dimensional product from nothing. You know, uh, my my lasts and my outsoles and everything has been created from scratch. Um, I worked with a paediatric podiatrist on the development for two years to make sure it was really good for kids' feet and and unique in the market. But, you know, if you start thinking about kids' footwear... 
I start from about age two to three and go up to about age 10. That's 15 sizes of a left foot and a right foot. The, you know, the tooling up for a product like that is huge. So when you're starting a brand and you don't have any customers and you don't have a website, it's a huge investment and you've got to get it right. You know, there's no second chances with this. So um, that was a, that was a challenge getting a factory on board with the future growth in mind. Um, but luckily, you know, having worked in footwear for over 20 years, I had some great contacts all over the world. And, you know, uh, I found the right partner for me who absolutely embrace uh, our mission and what we want to do and our growth plans, but they also embrace trying to make the products as sustainable as possible, you know, and have really supported me on that. Yeah, it's always good to have those partnerships and, and people who believe in what you're doing, uh, which is which can be difficult to find these days. But obviously, you had that that connection in your in your past um, work history, so that's good. Circular fashion. It's becoming quite well known. People people kind of understand what it means now in circular design, for example. Uh, but can you explain what a circular approach to kids' footwear means specifically, and and how it would traditionally well how it would be different to a traditional linear model? So I think a traditional linear model would be make the shoes based on a design you like, sell the shoes, wear the shoes, finish with the shoes, they end in the you know, really most likely they're going to end in landfill at some point, even if you take them to the charity shop. I think there's a shocking statistic that around 24 billion pairs of shoes are made globally each year, which is horrendous considering how many people are on the planet. And there's an approximation that probably about 90 to 95% of that product will end in landfill because there are so few recycling options available to people out there. So that's a horrendous amount of waste. So my approach is I start with the end of life in mind, you know, so I pick materials that I know are going to be the most durable. That's the very starting point, very first starting point. In our designs, we start with maximum adjustability uh, that can work and still comfortably function for a child. You know, it has to be one, it has to be commercial Two, it has to be great for their feet. So there's and what's the maximum amount of adjustability we can fit within those sort of capabilities. For us, we have developed a a unique little removable midsole that sits underneath all our shoes. So when you remove that, you know, after wearing it for, let's say, six to nine months or a year, Uh, You can remove that midsole when they start to feel a bit snug. It creates an extra half a size of space in the shoe and you can wear them for even longer. So that's how we're approaching durability on both fronts, you know, durability of materials and adjustability of design. At the end of their life, we recognize that people are wanting to behave more um, uh, environmentally minded, but also people are very busy. So how can we make circularity of use um, easier for our customers. We've simplified everything and we say, send your old shoes back to us. We will incentivize you to do that and we'll give you five pounds off your next purchase. And then we will either resell them if they're in a good enough state, donate them to our partner charity, a charity called Sal Shoes, which is brilliant, or we will recycle them free of charge. So we are trying to extend the life as long as possible and then our mission is for none of our shoes to ever end in landfill so by offering those three end of life solutions that solves that problem they will then be recycled 
what our ultimate aim to be truly circular would be to have that product that goes into the recycling process to then come out as a usable material to then be put back into supply. That would be full circularity. At the moment, that functionality just doesn't exist. But there is amazing research and work going on all over the world, including some in the UK at Loughborough University, into how we can further utilise those products once they've been broken down. So that is our ultimate aim for full circularity. Um, But as you can see, it reduces waste, it reduces consumption, and it saves customers money because not only are you wearing your shoes for longer, you're also getting money off your next purchase. So it's almost encouraging and incentivizing that circularity of use to make sure there's no reason for any of our shoes to ever end in landfill. That's amazing. So you are touching every area there uh, to ensure that the product is lasting as long as possible, but also has has somewhere to go at the end of the life as well. Do you know what happens with the recycle bits that are broken down now then if they're not turned into anything else? So, so there's certain uses that there's certain uses that things can be um, broken down to. So our our rubber outsoles, for example, can be broken down and used for coatings and kids playgrounds and things like that. Metal will be separated. The the most important thing, though, when starting with the design process is the fewer materials you use, the easier it is to break down at the end of the life. So if I decided to do a shoe that had a glittery strap, a metallic strap, a a patent leather strap, you know, breaking down those materials and trying to use those further is going to be really difficult. So we use, you know, you know, as fewer materials as possible and all as ethically sourced to the highest standards. That's right. A key to, to circular design is designing products that have the most single amount of or limited amount of materials as possible, because like you say, that is much easier than to break down at the end of end of its life. Um, so what kind of materials are you using in the shoes that, that helps reduce environmental impact as well? Because as you know, shoes are generally made from fossil fuel derivatives. So um, none of our shoes are made from fossil fuel derivatives, which obviously contributes to like huge carbon footprint in the world. So we use gold certified leathers. So that means there's a a, a global certification called the Leather Working Group, which means these leathers have been produced and manufactured in the most ethical way. Um, They're tested to the highest global standards, which means there are no nasty chemicals in there. Um, And the reason we pick leather is because, one, it's the most durable material, it's breathable, it's repairable, um, and it lasts longer. It also is very good for adapting around a kid's growing foot for comfort. Um, There are, um, you know, people will call them vegan leather out there, which if, if, you know, animal welfare is your priority, that's absolutely ticking the box for you. However, they are generally very reliant on fossil fuel production not great at biodegrading at the end of their life because they've got a lot of compounds in there and plastic coatings. Uh, There are bio-based materials that are in development, which we are constantly researching and looking out for and would love one day to be able to find something that can replicate leather. But for now, um, you know, it's absolutely agreed within the footwear industry that for now, unfortunately, leather is, you know, it's a byproduct and it's the best material for um, creating durable shoes, especially for kids. And then the other material we use is natural rubber. So there's lots of different compounds out there for, you know, especially used in sports trainers and and things like that. Um, Natural rubber is the most flexible, the most durable, uh, provides great grip and has the best biodegradable properties out there for an outsole. So 
hence why we're using as natural materials as possible again with end of life in mind um that when they you know if they were to ever ever end in landfill which hopefully they won't their biodegrading properties are much better rather than something that's um, based on fossil fuels, which can take over a thousand years to biodegrade, if at all. That's fantastic. That's interesting. So so actually leather, and obviously you said it's quite durable as well for, for kids' shoes. So you find that's much more durable than synthetic materials for, for kids' wear. Yes, definitely. And for kids' footwear, if you care about kids' foot health, breathability is really important. And that's something at the moment that, you know, leather is absolutely the best for anything with any kind of fossil fuel involvement or plastic coatings is really not going to be breathable and good for kids feet oh that's good to know interesting and also you mentioned earlier as well about unisex product um, non-gendered product was was something of a passion for you why is that so and why do you believe that you know footwear choices can impact children's self-expression for example yeah a hundred percent like I remember feeling it when I was a child and I, and I felt it passionately when I had my own kids. Like, why why do girls' clothes all have to be pink and unicorns and, and about, you know, kindness and love and things like that? And boys are about, you know, champion, go get that. It just drove me mad. And I used to actually to some extent deliberately, but I used to sort of cross by. So I'd get my son Ziggy stuff from a girl's department. Sometimes I'd definitely get the girl's stuff from the boy's department because none of those sort of messages resonated with me. And actually I sort of found them abhorrent. And I really do think it, it matters. I really do think it matters on kids' aspirations and, you know, how they think they should behave. And particularly for kids' shoes, you know, put a girl in a pair of sparkly tea bars is she going to be thinking that's appropriate to go and run out and jump in a puddle and climb trees and have fun or is it oh don't get those dirty they're too sparkly and neat and lovely and whereas the boys in my mind were like if you're a boy design doesn't matter um go and climb a tree but as long as you like navy or black you're fine you know and you know especially my son loves print and color and he'd wear pink and he'd wear metallic and it just really for me it it was a really important um part of the brand development you know the way I visually represent the brand in my campaigns is all about you know be free be fun I want them to be real kids it's not about you know deliberately putting a boy in pink and saying we're unisex it's about letting kids have the freedom to choose whatever they want and I think as soon as you I actually really do believe that when it comes to um you know going to a website and saying boys clothes and girls clothes boys shoes I sort of feel like in 10 years time we won't even be doing that and that's not about gender that's just about make gorgeous product and let the kids choose or the parents choose what they want rather than you telling me what I need to wear. Um, So yeah, it was definitely a really important part for me because I just want my kids to have the freedom to, you know, number one, wear what they want to wear. Two, feel like they can do anything and be anything and not be restricted by any kind of sort of social stereotypes and just, you know, be kids, you know, it's not about trying to impose any kind of view on them. It's just about there are no there is no view. It's just complete freedom. So that was a really important part for me when I was starting the brand. 
That's great. So yeah, you're right. So it's giving them that that um, freedom of choice without the, the societal expectations and pressures which we've we've had for many generations, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what your designs are like. They're very much, you know, that they're, they're they're varied. They're very non-gendered, and they can fit anyone. And it's they're beautifully designed. Thank you. So you do take back options, you said, didn't you? Yeah, we offer take back. So we're I'm just I'm actually in the process of just uh, making it a little bit more automated on our website. But yeah, the concept is, you know, to make it easy, you don't have to think about what you want to do with your shoes. We will take them back and then we will look at the quality of the product that's there. If it can be reused, we will do- donate it with our partner charity. Sal Shoes is a brilliant charity. We actually work with them both donating old shoes, but also donating brand new products for some of their projects in the UK. And yeah, it will go on its journey. Um, if you check out their Instagram, Sal Shoes, they have lovely pictures of where those shoes have ended up with projects in South America, India, Africa, all over the world. And it's, you know, you can see, you know, there's so much value being, you know, still used out of products that's been discarded because they don't fit or they're a bit more used and uh, you haven't got the right person to hand them down to in your own family. So that's a really lovely thing to be part of. And then, like I said, yeah, we also offer recycling as well. So it's, it's just, there's, you look at these products and there's more life in them you know, there's more life in them. You know, it's sad that they end their journey. They've got, had been creating lovely memories for kids for, you know, you often have a really nostalgic memory of your first pair of shoes and you're part of that journey. And it's nice to be able to continue that journey with someone else. Yeah. That, and that's really nice that you're working with them, sell shoes that they uh, help to repurpose them as well for people who obviously need them as well. And you're right. that it's It's a product that is still usable and, and ends life too, too early, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. In a world where fast fashion still dominates, how do you encourage consumers to to choose sustainable and circular options? And th- well, this this was a big part of our um, evolving um, sort of circularity strategy. I recognise, you know, there was um, there was a Mumsnet and Kantar bit of research that was done, and it was like more and more parents are wanting to behave more stay sustainably. But more and more parents are expecting brands to shoulder a lot of that responsibility because people are busy, you know, and I think now it's a bit of a prerequisite. It's like we, yes, we want to behave more sustainably and we will pick brands that are more sustainable. But what are you going to do to deliver that for me? So it was all about ease of use. This is why we're um, creating a more automated service on our website where you can just click into your order, select what shoes you purchased confirm that you want to take it back once we receive them you'll get your five pound voucher back so it's it's all about ease of use we want to take the pressure off you so you know comfortably that when you're buying from zig and star you are one reducing your footprint and having a positive impact on the environment it's just all about shouldering that responsibility for you so i think that's what that's what's going to be expected as as brands develop i think brands that aren't offering sustainable or circular options um will have to change and if they don't change who let's see if they're still going to be here in 10 20 years time and just make it easy for the customer you know make it so it's not even a question for them to take part in sort of more sustainable living it's just part of everyday life 
Yeah, absolutely. So do you find that um, you said that parents are becoming more kind of used to the idea of sustainable products and are wanting more sustainable products um, with regards to, say, for example, shoes that are handed on to like secondhand shoes, for example, do you think that's an issue still for the consumer or whereas we see like the Gen Z consumers quite happy to to rent or to, to buy secondhand? Do you think parents are becoming a bit more like that now as well? I, I think that's that's sort of a missing part of the puzzle in kids footwear. Um, I think people are still reluctant to put their kids in. I think handing down within your family is probably a little bit more accepted. I think purchasing pre-loved kids footwear, there is still an obstacle to that. One of the benefits that we have is that we all our insoles are removable. So we are looking at options where we can refurbish them to pretty much as close as they were when they were first purchased by providing brand new insoles and internals and making any repairs on the top. So once we have that up and running, that I think that's a missing part of the puzzle because I think peer-to-peer pre-loved kids' footwear still has a bit of, oh, I'm not sure if I want to put my kids in someone else's shoes. So we recognise that challenge. So we're looking at options where we can hopefully refurbish them to as close as new as possible. And I think that will then... I think that will become then a much more appealing option to some consumers. Okay, so that's a future plan you've got you're working on, refurbishment and repair. We're working on it right now. We've got we've got the, you know, we're ready to go with the insoles. We're looking at what kind of quality of shoes comes back. It may be that still, you know, if they've been really heavily worn, it might still be that donation donation is the right option, but definitely that repair bit is a missing part of the puzzle that we are working on now, yeah. Oh, that's good to hear that. So again, you're addressing even more of the circularity of the product. Mm-hmm. You really are touching every area yeah. you can, can't you? So I think, I think every, every, as a parent, every every sort of gap that I recognise of like, you know, or, you know, can I buy a repair kit that means that I can touch them up myself and mm. hand them on nicely? So all of that is currently in work. I'm hoping to launch it this autumn. So, you know, stay tuned and see what happens. But that is the plan. I'll be watching this space. Fantastic. Uh, A bit of a bonus question for you, Ali. What advice would you give to any other entrepreneurs or individuals looking to create a a sustainable circular fashion business or clothing business specifically within children's wear? I think the kids wear market is quite a crowded market. I think generally, I think you need to think personally, if I was going to think about starting a sustainable business because I was passionate about it, I I think you have to think, you know, the full product life cycle from start to finish. I don't think it's just as simple these days as saying I'm going to use organic cotton and that's sustainable. I think as people become more aware, educated about what sustainability really means, I think, you know, people have become wise to the fact that, you know, big global fast fashion players can't just say we're sustainable because they're using some, some you know recycled materials or organic um, BCI cottons or whatever. So I think people are becoming wise to that through that whole you know greenwashing movement and highlight calling out brands when you know they're not really ticking those boxes. I think it's more than just the materials you, you use. I would think about design process, end of life, you know, take back schemes. I think. I just think that's it's going to be not too long till, you know, I'm not going to be the anomaly. I'm going to be the basically the standard of what's expected from brands. So I think, you know, you have to start 
with that. And obviously, look, the product has to be great. You know, it's all well and good being a sustainable business, but if your product isn't desirable, commercial, a great, you know, what people feel is great value, then I think all your sustainable credentials are almost pointless because you need to have an audience. So, yeah, I would definitely think, you know, the whole process from start to finish. And also, you know, if you're a customer yourself and your friends are customers yourself, you know, show them the product. You know, when I was developing the product, I showed everyone I could, you know, what are your challenges? What do you love about kids' footwear? What do you hate about footwear? Just use your friends and other parents if it's kids wear that you're doing other parents as a sounding board for what they're looking for because I think you'll have a lot of information right at your fingertips if you ask the right questions absolutely I think that's great advice so yes so looking at the circular approach getting out the the research in the first place as well as to what people actually want as well will really help also um well Ali it's been absolutely a pleasure to talk with you today and now I assume Zig and Star the name of your kids yeah, so actually, it's something that I've not really shared very often, but it was actually the first name I came up with, and then I sort of toyed with other ideas for about six months and then landed on Zig and Star. So Zig is for Ziggy, my son, and, you know, it was while I was pregnant and on maternity leave with him that I had the idea, and then Star is the rest of our family initials. I've got a daughter, Scarlett, my husband's Tom, oh. I'm Ali, and my other daughter's called Ray. So all of our names are there within the, the brand day but I had it at the beginning and I thought oh I don't know is it a bit cheesy I'm not sure and then I was like, everyone was like what you're crazy that's the name so yeah and I'm really glad yeah. I'm really glad that I, I stuck with that name because my instinct was right at the beginning it, it was you know and it meant you know it is a bit of a family business when you're working as a, from home and which I do and you know everyone's sort of involved people write thank you cards for me sometimes my daughters help me with order packing and stuff like that so it is very much still a family business Oh, that's brilliant. That's a lovely way to a lovely way to end the podcast on an extra bonus, in fact, almost there. Um, and you're right, as a family business, that's a great name. Glad you stuck with it. It's it's very recognizable. Uh, and I and I know many people know the name and it stands out quite a lot. So excellent. Thank you very much, Ali, for talking to me again again today. Interesting to hear about the niche like children's wear and its unique challenges. Uh, if you want to Find out more about, obviously, Zig and Star or contact Ali on LinkedIn. You can do. I'll put the link to the website in the podcast description. Thanks again for everyone who's been listening. This has been the Sustainable Fashion Wingman podcast. I'm Sebastian, helping you dress, live and work more sustainably. Sustainable Fashion Wingman.